again for allowing him to take that time of rest and renewal and uh, further uh, deepening of his skills and competencies because he always wants to lead and serve well in this place. I want to speak just a moment to our graduates again. Would you raise your hand? Wow, we are really proud of you and thankful for you. I mean, this is cool stuff. Yeah, believe it or not, I can, I can remember my high school graduation. That, that's a stretch. Uh, and I remember seeing some of those folks get up on stage, and, and they were graduating magna cum laude. And others were graduating cum laude. And it got to me, and I graduated thank you, laude. <laughs> Any of my brothers and sisters in the house like that? Yes, Absolutely. My young friends, those of you that have just graduated, you are on the cusp of great adventures. The unknown waits before you, some of it good, some of it challenging. Uh, The unexpected just always comes, and sometimes we feel ill-prepared to deal with it. When I was going to seminary, I was assigned to what was called a student work. It allowed a seminary student to actually serve a church or churches while they were in school to give them practical experience and, quite honestly, a little bit of a paycheck to keep food on the table as you paid tuition and did these other things. I say only tongue-in-cheek that the bishop looked at me and said, a man of your ability should not be limited to just one church. So he gave me three Three little bitty churches. They were about seven miles apart. The smallest one had 17 members. On a good Sunday, they had 12 people. You will never find a more loving group of folks just determined to make their new pastoral family feel at home and well served. So the first Sunday we were there, that afternoon, they were having a cookout. And they turned out strong, and they were grilling hot dogs and hamburgers. And we were sitting around getting to know each other when one dear soul, a lady of that congregation, looked at me with level gaze and said, Preacher, if somebody got mad and left the church and now they want to come back, do we have to let them back in? Now, that was not a question I expected or welcome, particularly on the first day or forever for that matter. But it spoke to a deeper issue. And the issue is the issue of unforgiveness. The issue is the issue of grudges. You see, this ability for us to harbor unforgiveness in our hearts and to bear grudges against other human beings is something that cuts across the entire gamut of old and young, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, across the cultures of the planet. It is a common malady of human existence. This ability to bear grudges, even for people who ought to know better. How many of you remember the names? This will stretch some of you. Remember the names of Dear Abby and Ann Landers. Would you raise your hand? For those of you that don't know, these were two sisters. They were twin sisters, and they made a career out of giving advice on relationships. Both of them were relationship columnists in newspapers nationwide. What you may not know is they were at enmity with each other. They held grudges against each other. They could not speak well of each other in public or in private. One developed Alzheimer's, the other died. Their daughters carried on the feud. Grudges. 
grudges. Unforgiveness. Do you remember that encounter Jesus had when he was teaching and the teaching was interrupted by a group of angry religious folks who had brought a woman caught in adultery, caught in the very act of adultery. They had brought her out, thrust thrust her at Jesus' feet, and they had their stones ready because the law said, stone this person because they've transgressed. There was no forgiveness in their hearts. They said, this is what the law says, stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And it was really not about the woman. It was about them trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus wrote in the sand. Remember that deal he wrote in the sand? We don't know what he wrote in the sand, but one by one as he wrote in the sand, and after he had said, those of you without sin cast the first stone and wrote in the sand a little more, they began to drop their stones and they left. I wish, I wish it were that easy to put down the stones of unforgiveness, the stones of grudges. You see, we bear our grudges well. They become almost a part of us. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they're large. We can, we can start out with something like a little, a, a grudgeette. This is a grudgeette. And we, we can carry a grudge. We can you know, nurse a grudge, which means we can nourish it, we can keep it close to us, we can cause it to grow until it gets this size or larger and it's heavier and more dangerous and more difficult and it begins to burden us and impact our relationships with others, ourselves, and even God. In the Old Testament, there's a story. It's a brief story about a fellow by the name of Lamech. Lamech is an interesting character. Lamech, Lamech is a descendant of Cain. Do you remember Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel? You remember Cain was at enmity with his brother Abel. He held a grudge against him. He carried that grudge. He nurtured that grudge. Until at last, one day, it led him to a decisive action where he took his brother Abel's life. Cain killed Abel. And Cain was so afraid that somebody was going to take vengeance on him, so afraid that God said, I'm going to put a mark on you, Cain, and this mark will declare to anyone, if they take vengeance on you, I will repay them seven times. Now remember that number seven. Lamech is a descendant of Cain. And it says of Lamech that he had two wives. It is the first time in recorded scripture that we have an account of a man marrying two wives. Contrary to what God's intention was, that was revealed in the Garden of Eden story of one man, one woman, husband and wife. Lamech has two wives. It is clear that someone has injured him. We don't know if it was intentional. We don't know how serious it was, but we know this. Lamech, Lamech is carrying a grudge. And boy, does he grow that grudge. Until finally, one day, he kills the guy that offended him. Not only does he kill him, but he goes home and he brags to his wives. 
Listen to this. Genesis 4, verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. Not seven, but 77 times. You know what he's doing when he's bragging to his wives? He's saying, don't mess with me. Because I will repay you, not seven, but 77 times. We do that sometimes. We do that. We build up this level of unforgiveness and we keep it growing. We hold this grudge. And it begins more of a controlling factor for us. Well, some of us say, well, what's that got to do with me? I didn't kill anybody and I want you to know I'm glad of that. Thank you. But the truth is there are other ways that we take life from people. Harsh words, anger in our hearts, withholding approval or acceptance. You know, sometimes husbands and wives, husbands and wives get real good at this, get real good at this. We withhold, we withhold affection, we withhold approval. We withhold affirmation from our spouse because there's something in us that's angry. We have unresolved bitterness. We have unresolved forgiveness. We give each other the cold what? Shoulder. There are lots of ways that we can take life from other people. And it can brew bitterness in our hearts. The worst part is we begin to think that our feelings are justified. We can even feel a little self-righteous, a little superior because we're carrying this kind of grudge. We feel superior to them because we're not the ones who offended them. They offended us. But then Jesus comes along and says, things have got to be different. There's got to be another way. I'm going to ask the scripture to be put on the screen that we're dealing with today. This is an occasion where Jesus has been teaching. Would you read this with me? Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Whoa. Now, friends, this is to set the context, uh, this is in a much larger, uh, this is a small portion of a much larger portion of what Jesus is teaching on forgiveness and reconciliation. It's also important to note that scholars believe this is during a very important time during the Jewish religious year. This, they think, takes place during the 10 days of all. Those are 10 days before the Jewish new, uh, after the Jewish New Year, which is Rosh Hashanah, and Yom, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. It was believed that on the Jewish New Year, God wrote down in a book everything that was going to happen to each person, good and bad. But during these 10 days of all, a person could alter what God had written in the book. They could alter it by serious introspection, by fasting, and most importantly, 
by reconciling with those with whom they were in a relational mess or at least attempting to reconcile with them. Whatever happened during those 10 days, once those 10 days were up, the book was sealed. There was no editing. There was no changing. There was no modification. So those folks took that time very, very seriously. The message was, don't approach God with bitterness in your heart toward another person. It is a dangerous thing to come before God with a heart full of bitterness. So Peter says, how about seven times? That's generous. Isn't that generous? Seven times. Jesus says, not seven, how many? Seventy-seven. Where did you just hear seventy-seven a few minutes ago? Lamech. Lamech. I believe Jesus is intentionally counterbalancing the Lamech principle. Jesus anchors this for Peter and for others who are listening and us as well with a story. I'm going to modernize this. Think of a large family-owned corporation like Walmart 20 years ago. Well, there's a guy who works for Walmart who has embezzled a huge amount of money, a huge amount of money. And he gets called in by the head of the family. And the head of the family says, I know what you've done. I know what you've done. You have embezzled. It's it's just tremendous. In fact, it was so much money, according to the scripture, this was an amount of money that was larger than the tribute that Israel had to pay to Rome every year. It was an amount of money so big, no single person could ever repay it. And the head of the family says, you're going to get your reward You're going to be sold. I'm going to throw you in jail. I'm going to do all kinds of things to you. And this guy begs for mercy. He begs for mercy. And the head of the family is so moved that he forgives the guy. He forgives the guy who owes him so much, who has done damage to his family. Well, this guy, he leaves. You talk about a person that's got a light, <clears throat> a light bounce in his step, light in his spirit. Man, he's feeling good. He's feeling good. And he sees a guy on the street, and that guy owes him pocket change. And he grabs the guy by the throat and says, you pay me what you owe me, or I'm throwing you in jail. And he does it. And Jesus says, the head of the family heard about this and calls this guy in for a different conversation. And he says, because you have not forgiven, you cannot receive what I have offered. And you bear the full weight of the harm you have done. And Jesus says something I don't like at all. He says, so my heavenly Father will do to you if you do not forgive. Whoa, I don't like that. Do you like that? Isn't it interesting that Jesus took this so seriously that when the disciples came to him 
And they said, Jesus, we, we want you to do something for us. They didn't, they didn't say, Jesus, we want you to teach us to walk on water. We want you to teach us, teach us how to break that bread and feed 5,000 people. We, we want you to teach us how to do those miracles of healing that you do and recovery of sight for the blind and all that. They said, we see how important prayer is to you, how empowering prayer is for you, how vital prayer is for you. Lord, this is the one thing we ask you to teach us. Teach us to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. And he taught them what you and I call the Lord's Prayer. But in the Lord's Prayer, he inserted the line, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It is the only phrase, it is the only request in the Lord's Prayer that has a condition. That's why it was so important. It is so important to Jesus that we are freed from these stones of unforgiveness, these stones of resentment, these stones of bitterness that so block us. We're in spiritual danger when we are carrying hearts full of bitterness. So what can we do? I can tell you for me, I remember to look to the cross. Because in fact, as I look at the cross, I remember that I was offered forgiveness for my sin. I remember that I am a messed up human being. I am willful, self-serving, prideful, sometimes cold and resentful. Yet I have been given a place at the foot of the cross, not because of my merit, not because I deserve it, but because of God's grace and God's willingness to forgive. And I remember that I am among the forgiven. And it came at a tremendous price for God's Son. Now here's an important point. When that servant of that very wealthy business enterprise family was forgiven, the money was still gone. The harm had still been done. Who paid the price for that? The price of forgiveness is always paid by the one who forgives. That's hard for us, but it's true. The foot of the cross is the only safe place for the stones of unforgiveness, the stones of our grudges. The second thing for us to remember is, God says, vengeance is mine. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I am not pure enough. I am not holy enough. I am not righteous enough to be trusted with vengeance. God's word declares there will come a time, there will come a time where accountability will be made known. God sees every purse snatching, every pass that's made. God sees everything and every accountability will be taken care of. And that means mine and yours and everybody else's. It doesn't mean that we don't seek justice. We do. We do seek justice. But we set aside vengeance. We set aside bitterness. Because of what it does to us, it blocks us. 
It keeps us from living as free people. Now, friends, I know this is very, very hard. Maybe you've been hurt or betrayed by somebody. Maybe a family member that you trusted did some terrible, unspeakable things to you. Maybe your boss or co-workers have done harm to you. A former spouse abandoned you. You think there's absolutely no way I could move toward forgiveness. Jesus says there is. It's the way of the cross. John Ortberg, John Claypool, and several others have been so helpful to me as I've wrestled with this concept of unforgiveness and and how it binds us and how it breaks us and how it keeps us from receiving the full measure of God's grace to live as free people. And I'm grateful to them for using some of their insights in this teaching time. John Ortberg tells the story of a friend of his and his wife. And, uh, the woman's name is, is Sue, and Sue was at enmity with her mom. As long as she could remember, even when she was a little girl, there was always this enmity between Sue and her mom. They never spoke kindly to each other, and, and they, at, at best it was a ceasefire, if not an all-out warfare. They never complimented Sue could never remember a time her mother recognized anything she did in a positive way. And and though Sue was a very, very lovely young lady, her mother never told her so. It was so bad that as an adult, when Sue would have to go home, which wasn't very often, she would stay at her brother's house instead of at her mother's house. The word came that her mother had been diagnosed with a neuromuscular degenerative disease, and if it followed the common course, it would not be long, and she would deteriorate rapidly. She followed that path. A crisis came. The call went out. All the family was called in, and Sue went, Sue went, but Sue went praying. She, she was praying that God would do something in her mother's body and something in her mother's heart. You see, Sue believed in God. Her mother believed in God, but friends... Even Christians can get in a relational, a relational cross-up with each other. It can happen because we're human beings. We're fallible. And she prayed that God would do something. The family gathered, but wonder of wonders, the crisis passed. Her mother survived, and all the other brothers and sisters and family left and got back to the things that they needed to do. And, and Sue, Sue decided that she would spend another night she tossed and turned and couldn't get comfortable. And finally, some, sometime before midnight, she got up and found herself moving to her mother's room. And as she opened the door to her mother's room, she said, something changed in me. I had feelings I hadn't felt in a long time. I heard myself beginning to say words I never thought I'd say. She spoke to her mom. She said, I'm sorry, Mom. She recognized that through the years she had said things, she had done things that were hurtful, harmful, things that shouldn't have been said. I'm sorry, Mom. I realized I wasn't easy to raise. And her mom, though weakened by the disease, her voice affected by the disease, said to her, I'm sorry, I'm sorry too. And as Sue crossed over to her mother, she said, for the first time since she was a little girl, her heart just flooded, just flooded with love for her mother. She she got in bed with her mom. She hadn't done that in 30 years. 
She hadn't touched her mom in years. Now she couldn't stop. She stroked her hair. She held her hand. She said the words, I love you, Mom. I was so afraid you would never hear that from me. And her mom, in a broken voice, said, I love you too. I bet you never thought you'd hear that. Because her voice was so weak and hard to understand, her mom took a piece of paper and a pen. She wrote one word on the paper and then handed it to Sue, pointed to the word, and then pointed to Sue. The one word was pretty. And Sue said, The nurse says I look like you, Mom. This was happening when Sue was about 40 years of age, and though she was married, she had had no children. She said to her mom, I had hoped to give you a grandchild. Her mother wrote, You gave me a daughter. And all that night, they talked and rode and touched. And it was her mom's last night, her mom's best night on earth. Friends, I know it's hard. And you may have been hurt over a long period of time. It may take a lot of time. It may take a lot of work. It might take a skilled counselor to help you navigate those craggy, sharp edges. But it's worth it. It is only as we lay down the stones of unforgiveness, of bitterness, of our grudges that we make room for the work of the Holy Spirit within us, that we might receive the fullness of God's intention to bless our lives, for us to live in the freedom of His Spirit and to receive the power of His redemptive grace to be bearers of God's message of hope and forgiveness of which we become examples. Because through courage and His strength, And his divine providence, we have been enabled to lay down the stones. Right now, I want you to think just for a moment. Invite the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind the name of someone toward whom you have a measure of unforgiveness or bitterness. For some of you, it might be your own name. You hold a self-loathing about yourself and what you have done or left undone. That is not God's will for you. He wants you to be free. So as we play this music over the next few moments, I just want you, as the Spirit leads you, to come and pray here at this area. There's some stones here that are symbolic of what Sue and her mom did that night as two frozen and bitter hearts were set free, as two stones were put at the foot of the cross and a mother and her daughter found each other again. As you're led by the Spirit, take one of those stones and just place it at the foot of the cross and ask God to help you on this journey of forgiveness. Some of you may not be ready to forgive but you are willing to be made willing. And that's an honest prayer. You can take one of those stones and just put it in your pocket. 
as a daily reminder that God's still working for you and working with you to set you free. Would you pray with me? God, in these moments, we just want to have honest conversation with you. A whole bunch of us here are thinking about a name that represents a person. And we've got feelings toward them that are harmful to us as well as toward them. I pray in these moments we'll have the courage to step forward and walk a new path with you. That your intention toward us, which is good, might be fulfilled. And that freedom may come. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.